Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Product Perspectives, which is a bit special because I am talking today about trends in product so far and predictions for the future. And this is based on a talk I gave at a conference this year. I would normally use Slido for the presentation to be a bit more interactive because this is not live. We don't use it. However, there will be opportunities to reflect. Here's a disclaimer before we get started, that the information and the viewpoints, including the examples in this presentation, are my own, and they do not depict any information from my current employer or my previous employer. And also, I will be making some predictions, right? So these are forward-looking statements. So they're based on my current understanding and knowledge. And predicting the future is hard and is full of uncertainty, obviously. So the actual outcomes and what happened may actually vary from what I'm going to present. But I would love to have a chat in a year's time, in five years' time, and compare, look back at what I said and see how it went. So let's get started on why you should listen to this. Why is it important? Because I'm going to be looking forward at the future. And we often think about this as innovation, right? So why is it important to innovate? Well, because if you don't, somebody else is going to do it. And if you don't adopt things early enough, then it becomes a basic. And to discuss the evolution of innovation and how it influences the customer needs and expectations, if I take the example of a product first, I would like to use and explore the Kano model. If you're not familiar with it, I would recommend looking at a chart that shows how it works. And that's why this presentation is not only audio, if you're listening in a podcast version, which is audio only, but also video, you can find video podcasts if your platform supports it, but also on YouTube. So the Kano model, it's a valuable tool for understanding customer satisfaction and product attributes. And some people use it for prioritization of features, but I prefer using it for understanding innovation. So it categorizes the product features based on their impact on customer satisfaction and the level of expectation and satisfaction associated with it. So there are two axes, and the x-axis represents product attributes, ranging from absent on the left, so you don't have those product attributes, to present on the right. Think about product attributes as features or functionalities. And the y-axis represents customer satisfaction, ranging from low to high. So what you can see on my slide in that red curve is what we call delighters or excitement factors. And these are the innovative features that initially wow customers and they create a significant impact on their satisfaction. Then you've got the blue line, which is performance factors. These are the features that customers expect from your product and they take those for granted. If you don't have those performance factors, then it results in customer dissatisfaction. But their presence doesn't necessarily create excitement because customers have come to expect those attributes as a baseline. And finally, the basic needs or must factor curves, uh, which is the green one. And these are the features that customers consider essential and non-negotiable. If you don't have them, the customers are significantly dissatisfied, but their presence merely satisfies the customer's expectations. So why do I use this Kano model? It's because one of the key insights is that features that were once considered delighters and innovative become basic needs over time. They move towards the right bottom corner of the chart. And as competitors catch up and customers' expectations rise, what was once a unique selling point becomes a standard offering. Think about smartphones. <laughs> several years ago, so several decades ago, it was 
absolutely innovative. And now everybody just expects a smartphone and the basic functionalities it has. We take it for granted. So as a product manager, it's crucial to monitor this evolution and to constantly innovate to stay ahead of the curve. So this talk is about helping you to identify the innovative trends in product, which are delighters at the moment before it's too late and they become a basic need. I'd like to take one example for this, which is Agile. Do you know that the foundations of innovative incremental development started in 1930 and Agile was formalized with a manifesto in 2001? I know that there's been two slash three years of pandemic and it has flown by and we were just trying to get by, but that's 22 years ago. So if your company is not agile yet, this is fine. Everybody's at their own space, has different constraints, regulations, maturity, lots of reasons. And we're all trying to do our best, right? But given it was 22 years ago, agile isn't a delighter anymore. It is expected that a company has a certain level of agility. So I hope this example of agile has been useful. And I'm not blaming anyone. If your company is still operating in a very waterfall way, that's okay because everybody's at their own pace for a variety of different reasons. I also think it it's not a reflection on you, um, but the company as a whole. And one piece of um, advice I would give to people who interview candidates is to try and disentangle what's the individual from the company. You may be an individual very capable of operating successfully in an agile environment, but being in a company that doesn't operate like this. So if you ask during an interview, okay, can you tell me how you do this in your company right now? Well, it may not be a refraction of the candidate's ability. Some food for thoughts for you. Right, so what are we gonna talk about? I'm gonna take the angles of people, technology, process, and data to talk about what we've seen in 2022, what we're seeing right now, halfway through 2023, what's been happening this year, what's coming even more strongly uh, for the second half of the year, but also predictions for the next five years and even longer term, up to 10 years. And at the end, you'll have some clear takeaways. But as a typical product manager, I do have some success criteria for this presentation. And this is what I'm hoping you're gonna get from it. A, an assessment. Assessing how you're doing versus trend at a personal and company level. Inspiration. I hope you're gonna be inspired by all those trends and exciting things that are happening in product. And think, is this what you expected? Did you notice? And does something excite you? And finally, planning. How can you prepare for the future of product? So here's a challenge for you. Take a piece of paper and make sure that you write the ideas, the trends that are most insightful for you, or the ones you want to act upon. And by the end of this presentation, take free actions based on those to implement for yourself. Now, why should you listen to me? I'm a product manager and I've been for several years now. And I fell into product because I absolutely fell in love with a SaaS solution I was using at the time. And I moved from data and strategy to technology as a result. And I moved from typical SaaS to what uh, some people call DAS, which is data as a service or data as a product in the most recent year. And I have been absolutely passionate about everything around collaborating with other people because I've quickly come to realize that nothing happens on its own. Nothing happens with just me as a product manager. I need developers, of course, and designers, but I also need marketing and sales and customer success. And I need to talk to my finance team and my legal team as well. So all of these stakeholders in that product ecosystem 
are key to making successful products. And that's why I launched more than a year ago now, Podcast Product Perspectives. If you have been listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm always open to feedback and recommendation for topics and guests. And if you haven't, I would recommend you take a listen. So let's start with that people angle. Well, what we've seen is that in the past, PMs used to report to the chief marketing officer, CMO, but now product has really earned a seat at the C-suite table. And now we've got over one third of Fortune 100 companies will have a chief product officer. And that's a 41% growth rate over the past three years. And that trend is only accelerating. And we predict that the majority of Fortune 500, sorry, Fortune 100 companies will have a chief product officer in the near future. So this is good news, recognition of product. But on the other hand, we still have to educate people about product. I think one of the important challenges is explaining what product is to your mom, to your grandmother, and to colleagues at your workplace, people who don't work in tech, maybe your friends, but also people who work in tech, but not in a technology function, maybe like sales, who think you're just here to gather the requirements. Uh, but also sometimes even to people very close to you, like designers and, um, and engineers. So there's still a lack of awareness and understanding of product management. And that is despite the, the growth of this function. Some organizations really struggle to grasp the full potential and impact of effective product management. And they think we're just product managers. So for the sake of clarity, here's a definition which I find very useful. Product management is the discipline responsible for defining and executing the strategic vision for a product or product line throughout its life cycle. Product managers act as the bridge between various departments, aligning the organization's efforts to deliver value to customers and drive business success. Now we're on the same page, let's move on. To lots of people becoming product managers because there's a huge proliferation of online content and courses. Abundance of online resources to help you understand and master product management. And this is good because the discipline continues to gain recognition. Um, but there's lots of courses, webinars, blogs, podcasts, and other forms of content which have emerged. We also see a growing trend of accelerated learning programs, such as courses and boot camps, that aim to create a product manager in a content timeframe, like become a product manager in eight weeks. And these programs have gained popularity due to their intensive and immersive nature, right? But for me, it seems that if you're learning just eight weeks, you're going to focus a lot on frameworks, which are quite popular. And it's only a starting point. It may not be sufficient on its, on its own. And I think that candidates should really consider practical experience through internships, volunteering, or working on real world projects, building a portfolio, creating your own app, networking and continuous learning. So we've got competition from a whole bunch of new product managers coming from a bootcamp, but also because the world is becoming more distributed and um, with flexible working, PMs can essentially work from anywhere. So the role is very attractive for companies. They want product managers, but also from a career's perspective. And the fact that new PMs are on the market every single day, thanks to those online courses, so that's one side of the story, but there's a rise of distributed teams and a global shift of product management activities towards lower cost countries. So if you've been on the market lately because you were laid off or whatever other reason, you have probably experienced the increased competition. And the shift towards distributed teams compared to Agile 22 years ago, which was for co-located teams, 
has really expanded the pool of talents available for product management roles. And with advancement in technology and communication tools created by product managers, companies can now hire product managers from anywhere in the world. So we've seen a noticeable shift in product management activities, even from big tech uh, towards lower cost countries such as India and other emerging markets. And companies are really leveraging these locations to access skilled professionals at a more competitive cost. Um, there's also a, a trend, which is the gradual shift towards returning to the office because the world is recovering from the global pandemic and organizations are really starting to reevaluate their remote working policies and exploring a more hybrid approach that combines both in-person and remote work. So to differentiate yourself, you have to reinvent yourself, right? On the side of that, one thing that I haven't mentioned yet, but here's the first time I do, uh, it's the threat of AI, right? So AI, I think, is not going to replace PMs, but it will replace the part of the job that you don't like. Does anyone enjoy writing PRDs? No. Release notes um, and adding that marketing twist to it or researching about competitors for hours and then having to summarize the learnings. Well, good news for you. Thanks to AI, you can focus on higher value activities. And by this, I don't mean chat GPT, right? The good news is we already use AI in a lot of products. And my prediction is that by the end of 2023, every product manager will be using AI in their daily job to some extent, whether they notice it or not, whether it's a conscious decision or not, or because the tools they use leverage AI. So jump on that wagon. And to adapt to that, we need to focus on different skill sets. So what I would recommend is thinking about cultivating creativity, everything that leverages your creative thinking skills to identify innovative solutions and to envision compelling product experiences. Another type of um, skill you can cultivate is how to run effective experiments. So a strong understanding of experimental methodologies, A-B testing, and analytical tools to gather insight, make informed decisions, and iterate on product improvements. Another thing that's very important for preamps is facilitating workshops, so brainstorming sessions, encouraging bringing diverse perspectives, and fostering a culture of innovation with your teams. And of course, product fundamentals, market research, customer needs analysis, product strategy and roadmap development. These are the core skills that product managers need to make strategic decisions and guide the direction of their product. Another thing we're seeing in the market is that because it's so competitive, the product managers are trying to find new ways to differentiate themselves and to expand their impact beyond traditional roles. And this slide, explores the variety of roles that product managers are embracing to leverage their expertise and build their personal brand and contribute to the product management community. I don't know if you've looked at LinkedIn recently, but this is the impression I, I get from it. It's not the actual numbers. Um, what you see is that um, some people are not active on LinkedIn and that's fine. I'm so happy for them. Um, and that doesn't mean they're bad product managers, not at all. Uh, but the rest, you either have new PMs who are trying to get into product, or you have PMs who have even two years of experience is enough to be experienced as a PM, um, to be considered experienced as a PM. And they have a, a wealth of experience in building and scaling products. So they've become advisors for startups. They share their insights and experience by speaking at conferences, industry events, webinars, and they create a lot of valuable content in terms of blogs and articles and podcasts and videos, right? They share best practices, case studies, actionable tips to help others get into the product management field or improve their craft. Um, so really, we have lots of people moving towards these, these roles uh, and adapting to uh, the, the increased competition. But what we're seeing as well is the role of PM becoming more and more specialized. 
And that's not a surprise because in the tech world, other disciplines are already specialized. If I think about engineering, you've got front-end engineers, back-end engineers, mobile, even iOS and Android, web engineers, full, full stack. On a design world, product design, brand design, UX, UI, research, interaction design, service design. In marketing, brand marketing, content marketing, performance, SEO, marketing operations, <laughs> PR, and all of that. So PM is now getting specialized. And according to Reforge, you've got four types of product works. Um, so you've got the feature work, the growth work, the scaling work, and the product market fit expansion work and that leads to be a very different type of pm so you can be a core pm which is the traditional role we can think of uh, in terms of pm growth pm we have seen more and more growth pm roles over the last three years platform pm and innovation pm and this is going to become even more specialized we'll see sub specialization so you can see if you're a core pm it's not the same to be in B2B or in B2C. The user research methods are different, for example. Uh, the types of metrics you track are different. Um, you can be a, a newsfeed PM or a marketplace PM. Uh, if you're focusing on growth, well, growth can mean many things, right? It can mean acquisition. It can mean engagement, retention, monetization. If you're on the platform side, you can be a data PM, an infrastructure PM, working on trust and security or identity. And if you're an innovation PM, then you can do zero to one, build product from scratch. You can be the first PM in the company, um, which is a totally different uh, job. Uh, you can be focused on some, on, on getting in, entering into some new verticals or expanding a product market fit. So, I think the PM function is gonna get more specialized. But one thing that remains is the fact that um, some things that, some trends that we've seen over very recent years are becoming even more important because diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example, you, it's not just about showing it in your number. It is important for the health of a product. This is an example from 2018 where Twitter seemed to have in, an algorithm that consistently favored images of white individuals over those of black individuals, and which seems to reinforce the systemic biases, right? And that incident, because it was put in by user, it really highlights the importance of continuously monitoring and addressing the biases in algorithms, right? And that shows that you need diverse and inclusive teams in the development and the testing of algorithms to mitigate such biases and ensure fairness in digital platforms. So this is an example where it shows in the product whether you're diverse or not. It's not just your diversity report, it actually shows into the product. And PMs will be held to higher ethical and social standards because the consumers are becoming more aware of ethical and social issues. So we need to incorporate these considerations into the product development process. So that includes issues like data privacy, diversity and inclusion, but also environmental sustainability. When I presented this talk at a conference, actually in the keynote itself, we were talking about uh, the environmental sustainability and the fact that it has jumped to be eighth position in the CEO priorities, whereas it wasn't even there years ago, right? Um, and the product managers are really expected to be leaders in these areas, to advocate for the development of products that prioritize the well-being of consumers, employees, and the broader community. This is also something I've talked with Radhika Dutt about in a previous episode, about how an and intentionally, some products may be contributing to various types of digital pollution. And we really need to think about the ethics of a product. Does your product increase inequality? Does your product erode privacy? Does your product fuel polarization? And does your product erode the information ecosystem? Really need to think about these things now. I strongly recommend listening to this previous episode. 
And the reason for that is because we have a new generation of users. I don't know if you are yourself a Gen Z born between the mid 1990s and early 2010, or if you have a kid who is under 25 and is a Gen Z or an alpha, right? But we face the challenge of understanding and building products for new generations of users while maybe different from us. So these generations, they have very distinct characteristics and preferences that demand a very fresh approach to product development. So here is how I would summarize how product is evolving from a product standpoint and just to, uh, from a people standpoint. And just to clarify the arrow, uh, arrow it stops because it has to stop somewhere, right? Um, but when the trend becomes a basic and that most modern companies have adopted them, if you haven't, it's okay, don't worry, you can get started now, right? But for example, the agile trend would have stopped. So my, it, it, is because it is a basic now. So in that case, that arrow would, would end. So what we've seen uh, as a recap is um, the rise of the CPO and still having to educate about PM. The PM room becoming more and more specialized, DIY becoming um, a normal thing incorporated in your development, and then move towards advisory roles. We're going from boot camps and PM courses right now to requiring more hands-on experience. You have to have the experience. It's not just frameworks. And then moving into, we need people with a new skill set ready for the future. And we had... Um, more and more distributed teams as a result of the pandemic, starting to see some return back to the office and uh, preparing for the new generation of user. So now here is a way to test yourself. So it will usually be um, uh, live, but you can do it with a piece of paper. Uh, you can just count your score and put zero or one, depending on uh, your answer. So here's a test for you. Does your organization have a CPO? If yes, one point. If no, zero. Do you have to explain internally what a PM does? If yes, zero. If no, one point. Do you consider your organization to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive? One if yes, zero if no. Do you have a hands-on product experience? One if yes, zero if no. Are you preparing for PM role specialization? Are you actually thinking about which type of PM you're going to be and how you can get the right skills for this? One if yes, zero if no. In addition to your PM job, are you also an advisor, a coach, a speaker, a content creator? One if yes, zero if no. Are you adapting to the new generations of users? One if yes, zero if no. And do you cultivate the skills you need to stay competitive as a PM in the years to come? So we've talked about adopting AI tools and focusing on higher value activities. One if yes, zero if no. So hopefully if I was useful and that's a quick assessment of how you're doing um, in terms of preparing yourself for the future of product from a people perspective. Now let's move on to processes. The market shifted dramatically in 2022 and you can see it from this chart from Statistica. In previous years, product managers had to prove that they could build lovable products, but venture capitalists became more conservative regarding new investments because of raising interest rates, which have made it more expensive to take on debt. So today, companies must focus on becoming more sustainable and actually earning money on their own, or at least prove that they can get enough revenue to attract investors. So as a result, product managers will have to become better at monetization. 
and previously unsexy topics like pricing and bundling and tiering and lifetime value calculation will become a primary focus for many product managers. And this is somehow what we've seen with the announcement of Airbnb, right? They're not changing that much of a product management role as far as I understand it, but they're making sure that monetization and all of that general holistic view of a product is really taken into account. And product managers are not just focusing on the development and technical side, but also on the business side. We've seen product-led growth model gaining a lot of momentum. So we used to have a sales model and some companies still are, and um, where you uh, acquire people, then you monetize, and then finally your users engage with a platform and then you expand. The product-led model is about reversing that by engaging much earlier, uh, right? And it may seem counterintuitive with what I've said before, because I've just said we focus on monetization, right? But uh, that doesn't mean that um, that monetization should happen earlier in the process. In fact, it happens after the engagement from, from users, right? I think product-led growth is a trend that is so 2022. Um, so there's been so many talks about it that we're even tired of it, really. It is not applicable to every single company. So um, some companies, if you are operating in a B2B enterprise, it is a lot more difficult to get into that product-led growth model, but it's still possible. Um, so it's mostly companies in the B2C sectors which have started to, um, to do that first and B2B is really catching up. Um, and what it means, because we need to clarify it, right? It just means focusing on utilizing the product itself as a primary driver for user acquisition, retention, and revenue generation. So you can leverage if you do have a product-led growth, um, if you have a product-led growth business model on leveraging self-service signups and product trials and a frictionless onboarding to really empower the users to explore and adopt your product and become advocates for the products. So you really want to put the product at the forefront of the growth strategy and create a user-centric approach that builds trust and general generates viral loops and drives organic growth. So product-led growth, it really enables companies to scale rapidly and attract a broader user base and monetize through product upgrades and expansions. It can really transform your business and uh, it can really align your growth strategy with the one of your product. All of this has been supported by faster releases and continuous integration, continuous develop deployment, CICD. Uh, these have emerged as significant trends in product development, and it's really completely revolutionized the way that software is built, tested, and deployed. This enables us to have faster time to market. You can deliver new features and updates to users more rapidly. It gives your company, as a result, a competitive edge because you can respond swiftly to customer needs and market changes. CICD encourages collaboration between developers and testers and operations teams. The teams can work together seamlessly to ensure workflows which are smoother, re reducing conflict and having faster feedback cycles. One of the other benefits is the increase in quality and stability because you can catch issues earlier and therefore fix them. Frameworks. I've already mentioned that term before, but we've seen an explosion of frameworks aimed at helping product managers navigate the complexity of a role. From the popular Agile and Scrum methodologies to framework like design thinking and lean startup and jobs to be done and all of the ones you can see here. Uh, there's a wealth of resources available to guide product managers through every cycle of the product life cycle, every stage of the product life cycle. And these frameworks, they offer valuable insights into 
customer research, product discovery, prioritization, experimentation, and how to do iterative development. So you can really leverage them to streamline the decision-making process, enhance collaboration, and ultimately deliver products that meet customer needs and drive business success. So I think those frameworks are super useful, but be in mind they're not the everything about product. This is not all about framework. I think product is a lot more about building relationship with the business and having skills like empathy um, and collaboration uh, rather than just implementing those frameworks by the book, right? So if you're using opportunity solution tree, North Star, PIFAQ, RICE, Journey Map, Double Diamond, all of this, this is great. These are just tools. They're just the starting point for a conversation. And to support PMs, we've seen dozens and dozens of tools. These are just examples and they're great. Honestly, they make our lives so much easier. Tools for analytics. I can finally see how many people use my tool and I don't need engineers to uh, help me with that. I can see the funnels. I have lots of tools for uh, road mapping and prioritization. This is great. All those products we're seeing, and when we were talking about AI before, what I mean is that you can use AI tools. If you want to use ChatGPT or any other AI tools that um, you want to explore, but these product management tools as well, they're going to integrate if they don't already um, more and more AI. So you won't even have to change tool because you will use AI without necessarily knowing it or they usually like to do a lot of uh, communication about it. So they will tell you as well that you can use AI in those tools. And this is great news because uh, for long, we didn't have tools for PMs. So seeing all of those new products built for product managers, this is fantastic because it makes our life so much easier. What makes our lives so much easier as well is uh, product operations. And you may or may not have a product operations team. Um, product operation, it's really experienced a significant rise in the recent years as the organizations recognize the need for dedicated function to support and optimize product management processes. So product operations is a strategic approach that focuses on enhancing the efficiency scalability and alignment of product management practices. And it bridges the gap between product, engineering, design, marketing, and all these other cross-functional teams to facilitate seamless collaboration and ensure smooth product development and delivery. Product operation professionals, they typically handle tasks like um, roadmap planning, resource allocation, help with data analysis, metrics tracking, and process optimization. So if you decide to implement product ops, you can help your organization streamline the product management workflows and improve communication and collaboration between teams and really drive data-informed decision-making. So we've seen a, a rise of product ops, um, which really reflects the growing complexity of product management and the need for specialized roles to support and elevate the discipline, not just process people, uh, but people who can really help us um, be more efficient. And it, it is really becoming a role that helps to maximize uh, the product manager's efforts. But the PMs also need to work smarter on their own, right? So we're seeing very high profile tech layoffs in the first half of this year and last year as well. And many business leaders have been shifting from a pure focus on growth at all costs to efficiency and profitability. So in the near term, what that means is that product managers are expected to be more efficient and do more with less. Um, so for that, what you can do is work smarter, leverage the latest AI technology. And this is an example on the slide about one tool which enables you to do user research without user because it actually predicts the behavior of users. So you've got this heat map here based on where 
a user would be looking at, but you haven't tested this with actual users, it's a prediction. So predictive user research, it's an emerging approach that leverages data and advanced analytics to anticipate the user needs and behavior before they occur. So by analyzing historical user data and conducting user surveys and utilizing predictive modeling techniques, then product managers can gain valuable insights into customers' preferences, motivations, and future trends. So it's, it's a proactive approach to make better data-driven decisions. Um, so it will help us minimize the reliance on you know, reactive feedback and allow us as preempts to anticipate the user needs and design solutions that align with the evolving um, needs. You can use AI as well to enhance your meetings, for example, and not have to take notes manually and to analyze how people react and spend more time actually building that empathy, that human connection with your users. You can use AI to help you write more detailed product specifications. You can use AI to enhance your market intelligence work. Um, so, there was a, a survey conducted by IBM and product managers were considered one of the top 10 user groups of AI in organizations today. And they said that 21% of product managers use AI every day. So working smarter is so important right now. Get on boards because by the end of 2023, I think every PM should be using AI in their job. But we are also building those tools, right? We are building tools that support the future of work. And this is an example from Project Starlink from Google, which is a 3D chat book, right? So it's very exciting that as PM, not only do we need to get on board with the new technologies and the new ways of working, but we are also contributing to creating uh, those new uh, technologies that will help us as PMs in the future. So very exciting uh, to have to adapt to these new ways of working as well. So this is what the summary is from a process standpoint. Um, so we've seen faster releases happening for a long time. Now more and more focus on monetization and all the go-to-market side of product management, moving from product centricity, putting the product first to product-led growth, putting the product at the center of a business model, framework, a lot of them, product operations. And then a lot of you have used ChatGPT, now there's more simple AI tools, and then we'll have more advanced and integrated AI tools directly into the solutions we already use. We're moving from product management tools for road mapping, to more automation and to predictive research going forward. So that's what happen is happening from a process standpoint. Now here's one question to help you assess where you are. Uh, so which of these process trends do you think you are on top of? Uh, go back to this slide and try and think about yourself, try and think about your organization, which process trends are you on top of and which ones are you not? Let's move on to the data aspect. So on the data side, um, I, I think it's the next one because we talked about people, we talked about processes, um, but we want to be data-driven as PMs, right? So when I say data, I'm sure a lot of you are thinking data strategy and data transformation, um, data digital transformation. And digital transformation has been happening for years, right? 70% of organizations either have a digital transformation strategy or are currently working on one. And there's been, in 2021, $1.5 trillion spent on digital transformation alone globally. So digital transformation, what does it mean? <laughs> it's one of those terms that we always need to um go back to the definition because it's just overused, right? So it refers to the profound and strategic shift to reimagining business processes, customer experiences, and organizational culture to embrace the potential of digital innovations. So digital 
transformation encompasses a wide range of initiatives, including adopting cloud computing, implementing data analytics, embracing artificial intelligence, automating processes, and integrating digital channels. What you see on this chart is that digital transformation is one of the top uh, company initiatives um, in 2020, 2021, so nothing new here. Uh, it's happening. Some companies are already there. I think digital transformation really never stops. There's always innovation. Uh, so you always have to adapt your business, uh, but an ongoing trend. And then dashboards aren't enough. I don't know if you're familiar with that catchphrase, uh, which is used by a ThoughtSpot, which is a competitor of uh, Tableau and Power BI, and they say dashboards are dead. And where do they come from? Dashboards are dead. Really? I use dashboards. Um, according to Gartner, the adoption of BI tools by employees is only 30%. I think in product management, we use them more because we really have truly self-service tools. Like I do my own data analysis in Heap, for example, myself. And I, But that's the thing. It's truly self-service. I don't rely on anybody else having built a dashboard for me. So I think dashboards which have to be created by BI analysts in a centralized team and take, according to this chart, four to five business days to be created, these ones are definitely not enough. We need self-service. There is an increase now of voice-activated assistants and chatbots and conversational interfaces. So product managers, we need to develop an understanding on how to design and deliver those intuitive, very user-friendly interfaces that actually meet the needs of consumers. I don't need to see a dashboard. I need to get an answer to my question. I need to make a decision based on my market share, based on my number of users, right? And for that, I don't need a dashboard. I need a better solution that enable me to do that. So it can be through natural language processing, voice recognition, machine learning, and dashboards aren't the only way to solve that problem. So I think dashboards as we know them in the traditional BI way aren't enough and they're probably going away if they don't find a way to, to, to evolve. Um, PMs, as I've said, we, we probably, one of the most uh, data-driven teams in organizations. We leverage a lot of data to make informed decisions to drive successful product outcomes. So we really harness data analytics and insights to gain a deeper understanding of user behavior, market trends, and product experience. And we inform our strategy, we prioritize feature development, and optimize the user experience with that data. There's also a growing share of product managers who have PNL, profit and loss ownership, meaning that we're accountable for the financial performance of our products. And we're responsible for balancing the revenue generation with the cost management and overall profitability. Uh, we track performance using KPIs such as user engagement, conversion rate, revenue growth. So we're really at the forefront of um, being data-driven and using those tools, right? There's a, a variety, as you can see on this um, matrix of user research methods um, with different characteristics that we, we can leverage. But I, I guess the question is where, where does all that data come from? And some of this we collect ourselves, but now data is also a product. Uh, so data as a product, it's a concept that you apply the key product development principles, um, like identifying and addressing unmet needs, agility, iterativity, reusability to data projects. So most organizations use internal data already, but they more and more need to turn to external data in order to execute a variety of business processes. So data brokers and companies that actually sell data, they provide this data set. And we've seen um, companies wanting to train AI models and 
we see that there are limitations with using publicly available data and they're now starting to purchase access to this data. Um, so data has become an increasingly, an increasingly valuable asset and in some cases a product by itself. So that's why we've got this concept of data as a product or data as a service, uh, DAS, which involves collecting, analyzing, and then monetizing this data to create value for um, businesses and consumers and customers. And this is an example here on this slide of all the different data providers. And when you think about data as a product, you can really think about it from its entire life cycle and think about all those things that we mentioned earlier, like ethical concerns and data privacy and security and, and regulation. Uh, so there's a huge opportunity for companies to really embrace data as a product because it opens up opportunities to leverage the power of data and create value and potentially um, new revenue streams. Because data will be needed to uh, support personalization. You see, personalization is quite at the top of uh, what customers expect. It's an important aspect for customers and it's a key differentiator. Product managers need to be skilled at using data and analytics to deliver customized experience. Um, so we really need to have this deep understanding of the needs and preferences of customers because products in the future, we need to, um, to, 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 to help with uh, human emotions. So by 2030, we may see a significant advancement in the field of affective computing, which is the study and development of systems and devices that can recognize, interpret, process, and simulate human emotions. So product managers will be responsible for creating products that can understand and predict human emotions, leading to a more personalized and empathetic experience. So that's it from a data standpoint. There's a lot happening. Uh, digital transformation still ongoing. Um, but if your company hasn't started or is just at the beginning, uh, then uh, there's an opportunity to really accelerate. Self-service dashboards, uh, we're starting to see that as opposed to static dashboards. And then moving into more conversational data querying, all the way to automating analysis. Like, why do I even need a dashboard? Can I just ask a question and get the answer I need and the analysis of that data? Uh, going from data product, which are products which leverage data, uh, for example, Excel is a data product because you can use data in Excel, to data as a product. But the data itself is the product and you can monetize it. Going from customization, um, where a user can customize, to really personalizing the user experience and to building that deeper empathy uh, with the emotions of the user. So now here's a question for you. Where are you in your data journey as an individual and where is your organization at? Think about those trends and try and position where your company and yourself is. Now we're moving on to the final part, which is about uh, technology, because it may be tempting sometimes to prioritize technology as the ultimate solution. Technology is going to solve our, our problem. It's when a company implements a new system, no, it's not going to solve all their problem, right? That's why I put the people, data, and processes beforehand, because technology is merely a means to an end. And in product management, the true differentiator really lies into the effective utilization of people, processes, and data. And yes, technology plays a vital part in enabling and enhancing product management practices, but it's the careful integration of all these elements that truly drives success. So let's explore how technology, when combined with people, processes, and data, can unlock new possibilities and empower product managers to deliver exceptional products and experiences. Well, what we've seen in the recent years in, is a rise in the new um, low-code and no-code tools. These are just examples, uh, but you can create prototypes quickly using no-code tools and then test those in front of 
your users, which means you don't have to use engineering resources. So there are two sides to this technological innovation. One is some PMs are specializing into those no-code and local tools. Uh, so you can be building those tools, but you can also leverage them as a PM to make your life easier. And we've seen a move as well from product to platform. And the transition from a product to platform, it really represents a strategic shift in business models where organizations expand beyond offering a single standalone product to creating an entire ecosystem that enables the exchange of value between different participants. Uh, so a platform provides the foundation that facilitates interactions, transactions, and collaborations uh, amongst different users, uh, such as the consumers, the developers, and the third-party providers. So uh, what does it mean? Um, in, in a product business model, the firms create value by differentiated, um, by developing differentiated products for specific customer needs. And they capture the value by charging money for all those items. In a platform business model, the firms create value primarily by connecting users and third party. And they capture value by charging fees for access to the platform. So the platform models bring a shift in emphasis from meeting specific customer needs to encouraging mass market adoption in order to maximize the number of interactions and from product related sources of competitive advantage um, to network related sources of competitive advantage. So you've got more and more third parties into your ecosystem. That's how you generate value. And obviously you can have a hybrid um, of the two business models, right? And especially that's the case when you operate that transition from, from product to, to platform. Um, there's technologies uh, that make this more possible. So more open source and systems which make... Uh, tools more interoperables, they contribute to helping facilitating the move from, from product to platform. Um, one example we've seen, uh, there's a Salesforce uh, moving to having lots of third-party uh, add-ons and applications on top of it. Um, we've got AWS uh, offering initially cloud services, but now becoming a marketplace for third-party software providers. Um, so lots of companies are starting to open their APIs as well for third-party apps and services and marketplaces where customers can find and purchase those different apps. Uh, we are also answering uh, humans with the, the machine, right? So product managers will be responsible for developing products that can enable human machine integration. So brain computer interfaces and other forms of human machine integration continue to evolve and this developments on this on a regular basis. But product managers will be designing and developing products that can seamlessly integrate with the human body and mind, right? To increase our levels of performance and creativity and collaboration. And that's particularly happening in the fields of healthcare and education and entertainment. Um, there's other ways that human and machine can integrate. It's around expanding uh, the human lifespan as well. So we've seen the rise in biotechnology and product managers will be responsible as well for developing products that uh, create opportunities in those fields. Um, so if you're working in health tech, these are very interesting topics to, to discuss. Um, and this is a curve which I, I quite like from uh, Gartner. So you've got two versions. One is for uh, AI and the other one is for emerging tech in general. And this is the curve of the hype cycle. And uh, you can see to name a few web free, but also NFT and crypto where 3D printing is, internet of thing, quantum computing. Um, and on AI, it's very interesting for the, the one on the left-hand side because AI was mentioned a total of 168 times by Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Amazon in their latest conferences, right? So it just demonstrates how much attention they're paying to that. Um, but that's just the beginning, right? What we're seeing is 
but AI is becoming more multimodal. By means, I mean that the inputs and the outputs can be numbers and text and tables, images, videos, audio, um, not just you know, your text like you had at the beginning with ChatGPT. AI also needs to evolve to enterprise grade with a big focus on security so that it can be adopted more widely by organizations. And AI is becoming as well more proactive, not just predictive, but also taking uh, preventive action. But it's more than just software. We think of AI as you know, what we use, uh, but there's more than that. There is an infrastructure layer. So we've seen uh, companies like NVDA or like other cheap and semiconductor manufacturers that really fuel the machines that train the AI models. These companies are booming as well. Um, with the data layer, we talked about data, right? AI needs data. So we see a, a rise in data brokers. And same on the, the crypto side to verify and identify individuals and their transactions. So there's a whole ecosystem uh, which is flourishing. Um, you will have seen a lot of uh, development in the uh, augmented reality and virtual reality space. And although it can be just fun to play video games, for example, uh, it can have a very big impact on actual experience, uh, especially in retail, for example, just imagine one of the biggest barrier to uh, buying clothes online is you can't really try them. So imagine a more immersive experience where uh, you could actually, thanks to uh, augmented reality, see how the clothes might fit on you. So these technologies are becoming more accessible and more affordable, and we can expect to see more products that incorporate them in the near future. Uh, so product managers, as a result, need to understand how to design and develop products that take advantage of the unique capabilities of these technologies. And that means taking a more holistic view and with that, we may see the rise of a chief experience officer. Uh, I think Adobe and Adweek have already started and have those roles, the CXO. Uh, but that's something that um, we have to take into account, not just the product, but the entire experience. And finally, beyond just software, right? We tend to think about product managers as just software, but there's more than that. We are changing the way uh, and we have an opportunity going forward to change the way uh, we live on, on earth and beyond, right? Shaping the future of transportation with autonomous vehicles, flying cars and other methods of transportation, designing and developing products that are safe, efficient, and enable us uh, to have a sustainable uh, transportation, but also beyond earth, right? Products that can operate in space and uh, help us to uh, live on other planets. Um, there's a rise in, in private space exploration. So could, we could be designing products that operate in, in space. So from a technology standpoint, this is a summary. We've seen the rise of low code and no code, um, moving from product to platform, uh, from simple AI tools to more enterprise grade AI, the rise of immersive customer experience, integration of the human and the machine, and maybe the humans becoming the product in the future. And um, products that impact our ways of working, impact our cities and ways of living and go beyond earth. So now here's a chance for you to reflect on what you've learned uh, in that presentation and think about what the future means to me, what the future means to you. Is the future exciting? Is the future roaring? Is the future something that you want to be part of? Take the time to reflect. And this is um, one of my final slides to say, it's okay if you thought, oh, my company is not there. I'm not there. I'm not using AI on a daily basis. I'm still with a spreadsheet. My company is doing waterfall and none of that. It's okay. And don't forget that what you see on social media, uh, what you read on online content um, is not always a reflection of a reality. We have to explain what product management is to some people. They think we are still project managers. We have to do some projects which are waterfall sometimes. Um, a lot of companies are still in bed, so don't worry if you are not there yet. 
So the key takeaways uh, is our catch up on the trends, product-led growth, no code, the diversity, equity, inclusion, product ops, faster releases. These have been happening for a while, so they are expected now. Jump on the train for those trends which are happening right now. AI for being more productive, um, being more personalized in your product experiences, thinking about monetizing data as a product, and then start building the future, right? Think about the immersive experience, dream about um, and, and start building products that will enable us to go beyond Earth. And don't forget your challenge. You have to write three things that inspired you or that you want to act upon based on this presentation and think about how you can implement them at a personal level or in your company. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening. There's no Q&A because it's recorded. However, I am very happy to take questions and feedback. So connect with me on LinkedIn and follow the podcast product perspectives. Thank you so much.